7.43 and well, an incredible series of twists. So many inter-Korean summits. Well, as many in a month as we saw during the entire so-called Sunshine Policy era. But President Moon Jae-in warned in a televised briefing yesterday that while North Korean leader Kim Jong-un wants talks with his American counterpart Donald Trump, Pyongyang and Washington still have to narrow their differences. And we know this morning... Delegates from Washington are in North Korea for that very purpose. We're first joined today by Steve Herman, White House Bureau Chief at Voice of America News. Thank you for taking the time. My pleasure, Alex. So how do you see things proceeding at this point? Do you still feel like there are plenty of twists to come? Yes, I would not be surprised at all if uh, there's a bit more drama before June 12th. It's obviously been a huge uh, uh, dilemma for uh, journalists from around the world uh, who have been deciding whether they should uh, cancel their uh, tickets in the hotels. Some did, and now they've got to rebook again. Uh, And uh, I don't think we're going to know until this uh, summit actually begins, if it does begin, whether it's uh, going to go ahead and we will see a handshake between Kim Jong-un and uh, Donald Trump. Yes, as you say, a dilemma for basic scheduling. Uh, But when we think back to President Trump's letter of cancellation, I mean, it's a classic example of him saying something that he doesn't necessarily either mean or plan to be completely rigidly fixed to. Almost ironic, isn't it? Because this is uh, apparently about egos with these two, but he's not got such a problem going back on a public word. Well, according to a senior White House official, he was the one who dictated that letter. It wasn't written by somebody else for him. That's exactly what he wanted to say, and uh, that's what he believed at the moment. And then subsequently, there was some uh, strong uh, indication, at least in the mind of President Trump, that uh, reversed him from that position that the summit was off. Uh, Part of that was obviously uh, the dispatch uh, that uh, came out of... um, uh, uh, North Korea later in that that day, which was one of the most conciliatory uh, dispatches I've ever seen come out of uh, the Korean Central News Agency in Pyongyang regarding the United States. Um, perhaps they realized uh, that the comments that were uh, disseminated from uh, the North Korean vice foreign minister uh, were a misstep, but according to the people I've spoken with in the White House, uh, that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, uh, essentially, that uh, the North Koreans standing up a U.S. delegation in Singapore and then cutting off subsequent communication, and then uh, those comments calling uh, names, uh, calling the vice president of the United States names, uh, w- was what convinced uh, uh, Trump to call it off, at least temporarily. Indeed, it, it, it was apparently the final straw, wasn't it, there? But, I mean, as, as a a member of the media yourself covering directly what's happening with with President Trump. You have obviously been aware of your counterparts being frequently criticised by President Trump himself. Buried, perhaps, among all the reporting yesterday was uh, some pretty harsh North Korean criticism of the US media. The Rodong Shinman newspaper saying that Fox News TV, CBS and CNN were as impudent as to make rubbish that if the DPRK, as in North Korea, meets the requirements of the US, it can get large-scale non-governmental economic aid. This is nonsense of hack media on the payroll 
of power. I mean, this well, there were similar statements that came out of the White House. Uh, mm. uh, uh, President Trump himself had uh, said uh, North Korea can get rich uh, if it um, signs a denuclearization deal. Now, those of us who have covered North Korea for a long time know uh, that North Korea has tremendous pride, despite its extreme poverty in Juche, self-reliance, and, uh, and any sort of comments like that would, uh, would anger and hurt the pride of North Korea, whether they're coming from the president or from the media. But in this particular case, maybe they were looking at a way to signal that that wasn't the type of things that they want to hear, and then just blaming the press rather than the president for, for making those sort of comments. In all your years, though, as well, of covering the Koreas, just how surprising was it for you to suddenly see that embrace between Kim Jong-un and Moon Jae-in on, on Saturday? Well, that was uh, uh, amazing. And uh, the fact that uh, apparently that uh, Kim asked for the second meeting and Moon responded, and this was held uh, in in on such short notice, and in fact, no notice, advance notice uh, to the South Korean media was something that was uh, truly remarkable. And I think we're in a period uh, where we are going to see things uh, developing very quickly and surprisingly on the Korean Peninsula, uh, but it is also a time of great uh, volatility because not only do we have uh, the new leader in uh, Seoul who wants to take things in a different direction, we have a uh, relatively new leader here in uh, Washington who also wants to take things in a new direction. And then uh, combining that uh, with uh, uh, some apparent, and I stress the word apparent, flexibility from uh, uh, Kim Jong-un um, and, and others in Pyongyang. Uh, but my caveat would be that there are hardliners in both Washington and Pyongyang who probably would not want uh, to see the status quo changed quickly and significantly. There we go. Um, the potential conflict still ahead. Steve Herman, White House Bureau Chief at Voice of American News. Great to have you with us on the line. My pleasure. Anytime. And let's bring in Professor Lee Sung-yoon from Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, Tufts University. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. We just heard about hardliners in Pyongyang and Washington. I mean, here in Seoul as well, the main opposition Liberty Korea Party expressed its opinion that uh, President Moon was effectively reckless in going ahead with an unheralded summit uh, with uh, Kim Jong-un at the North Korean leader's request. What's your view? There are hardliners in most democratic open societies. In North Korea, the entire government, the entire regime is hardliners. There are no doves and hawks dichotomy or conflict, no tension between internationalists and isolationists in North Korea. Chairman Mao was very good at playing the U.S. on this supposed purported friction, internal friction, between hardliners uh, represented by the former defense minister Lin Biao and the internationalist Premier Zhou Enlai. Now, in every society, in every government, there are competing interests, obviously. But to say that North Korea, Kim Jong-un, the leader, is torn between the hardline generals and perhaps the more outward-going uh, 
internationalists in the foreign ministry, I think is unfounded. There are clearly hardliners in Washington and South Korea, and they tend to be much more skeptical. Uh, They view President Moon's outreach to North Korea as overzealous, and they view Kim Jong-un to be trying to dupe the world once again, as his father and grandfather did, with fake promises of reconciliation and denuclearization. But President Moon, perhaps even for those critics, if this all turns out to be successful, they will have to look back on that unheralded meeting that took place this past Saturday as a a kind of risk that paid off. Oh, yes. If North Korea does, say, over the course of next two to three years, completely gives up its nuclear and chemical biological weapons programs and gradually changes for the better, then all of this effort put forth by President Moon will be remembered, and perhaps President Moon will be remembered as the greatest South Korean leader in history. But I think there are many uh, miles to go before we come to that kind of reassuring new reality. On the other hand, even if it fails in President Moon's defense, he doesn't seem to be giving anything particular away except his own time and his own goodwill at this point. I mean, it seems harsh to unnecessarily criticize him for that right now as this unfolds. Right now, yes, it would be unfair to paint him in a too negative light, Uh, for example, to say that President Moon has facilitated Kim Jong-un's image makeover, but the same charge could be made of President Trump, too. President Trump, it was not so long ago, called Kim Jong-un rocket man on a suicide mission, maniac, madman. Now he's saying of Mr. Kim, a very gracious, very honorable you know, very well-prepared man, leader, who knows his brief and all these good things. So, no, I I think it would be unfair to um, criticize President Moon too harshly at this point. But what the skeptics fear is that President Moon and Kim Jong-un have sort of laid the groundwork for the relaxation of sanctions, both U.S. and U.N. sanctions against the North Korean regime, and to set the stage for the kind of unilateral, virtually no conditions attached, giving subsidization of the North Korean regime that we've seen in the past. We'll be watching closely. The other questions, though, the big questions are, what will North Korea be prepared to give up? Right now, we are apparently seeing talks being thrashed out in North Korea involving Washington officials. They have this different view of denuclearization from what we can gather. And President Moon has pretty much said as much. Uh, He said, I thought very interestingly at yesterday's press conference, that he's not sure if Kim Jong-un can trust Uh, what the U.S. will offer in terms of any kind of security guarantee in return for denuclearization? Sure, it would be foolish for the North Koreans to trust the Americans and vice versa. Um, I'm a little puzzled when I hear people say Kim Jong-un has already made many concessions. I'm unable to identify any meaningful concession. The release of three U.S. citizens is, in my view, no concession at all. They never should have been detained in the first place. And it's true of his father as well, Kim Jong-il. After several months, sometimes a couple of years, the regime does let Americans go because the law of diminishing returns 
sets in, they don't provide any great utility, intelligence value, the U.S. detainees, that is. You know, blowing up, decommissioning the Punggeri nuclear testing site, I would say that's no concession either because North Korea doesn't have any need further to conduct underground nuclear tests. Perhaps they do have a need to test one over the Pacific as North Korea threatened. That would be in outer space as the U.S. and the Soviet Union used to quite often in the late 50s and early 1960s, but no more underground tests is necessary. Uh, India and Pakistan each have conducted six underground nuclear tests, and the last was 20 years ago. No one presumes that uh, India and Pakistan would be willing to give that up. They've made their point. North Korea has made its point in a major way mm. with a thermonuclear test last September. So I don't see any real concessions or real indicators of change, some of which would be, you know, moving some North Korean troops away from the DMZ, um, stop cyber attacks on South Korea, releasing some political prisoners. Uh, these would be more credible. More meaningful concessions. We do have to leave it there, Professor E. Thank you for coming on as well and sharing your thoughts. Thank you.